Okay. If you only had one food to live on for the rest of your life, um, I tease my son, uh, my 15-year-old, all the time that he is a pizza connoisseur. Um, he lives on pizza. If it's not pizza, he won't eat it. He eats pizza and pizza and pizza and pizza and pizza only. Um, so I can answer for him real quickly. Um, for me, it's a little harder. I love food. Um, I love to eat. I was raised on sweets. Uh, my mom was always baking, always and always. So I love, I know I shouldn't, but I love sweets. Um, anything chocolate. But for some of you, what are, what are some of the things, just real quickly, that if you only had one food to live on for the rest of your life, what would it be? Anybody? Peanut butter? Really? Didn't, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. What? Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> so others? Go ahead. Berries. Berries, really? Taco Bell. Taco Bell, okay. <laughs> Taco Bell. Any others, real quickly? Steak. Steak, okay. Bacon cheeseburger. Bacon cheeseburger, okay. Medium, Medium bacon cheeseburger. Oh, you're going to specify. Okay, a couple more. Hot dog. Hot dog? Anybody else, real quickly? Chick-fil-A. What, what was that one? Oh, McDonald's. Okay, so we have a battle between Chick-fil-A and McDonald's now. Okay, and Taco Bell. Pistachio ice cream. It's pistachio ice Wow, yeah. Okay. Okay, you all took care of that real quickly. You all can narrow it down real quickly. The what? Hibachi Grill. Okay, I can see I've lost control already. Um, Several years ago, as I preparing messages, started preparing messages, I started to really think about something. Um, several things, actually, but this specifically, and even in the season of life that I find my family and myself in right now, um, we use a lot of words specifically in the church um, that I started even preparing sermons and found myself using that I struggled with and started to have this internal battle with. We use things like, we sang victory, um, uh, turn to Jesus. Uh, we use words like healing and conditional love. Well, what's conditional love? When love is broke. Um, grace. Uh, Jesus will provide it all. God, the great provider. He's all I need. I could go on and on and on, and again, I could ask you, and you could name stuff off the top of your head of just within the church, if you've been in the church very long at all, you find these words that we use. We talk to family members, we talk to friends, we talk to our children, we talk uh, to neighbors, we, we say, you know, they have different issues, different problems, uh, the, the loss of a loved one, uh, loss of a child, the loss of a grandchild, all these different things to say, well, you know, turn it over to Jesus, you know, the unconditional love, all these different things. And they're true. And maybe for some of you, you haven't been to this point yet. But I'm not so naive, I don't think, that a lot of you maybe have had this internal battle. If not, down in past, maybe you're still having it. How does that translate? Over the past 
year, I've been on the other side. I've been where you're at right now, listening a lot. And I hear preachers just like I preach, the exact same words I just mentioned. But I start to realize when loneliness in our society and culture, did you all realize that today loneliness is one of the leading causes of death in the world? Loneliness. He's all I need, He'll provide. There's victory in Jesus. How could loneliness be one of the leading causes of death in the world today? One in three young ladies between the ages of 12 and 23 will be part of date abuse. One in three young ladies between the ages of 12 and 23 will be a subject or be part or be a victim of some form of date abuse. 80% of parents deny that. 80% of parents say if it was going on with their child, with their daughter, they would recognize it. It doesn't translate. 80% deny it. 80% say they could recognize it but one in three. I don't know how many teenagers you have in your student ministry here. Do the math. Suicide. All these different things going on. What I want to try to do for you today is to take a very familiar passage In John chapter 6, something that a lot of us in this audience have heard over and over and over again, have studied, have taught on it, have heard it taught. Maybe Steve has preached on it. Maybe he preached on it recently. I don't know. And what I want to try to do is, in the short time we have, to crack this time in Jesus' life open. And maybe, hopefully, as the Holy Spirit moves in this place this morning, maybe we start to look at it a little differently. This miracle that we're going to look at is actually recorded in all four Gospels. Now, if you're new to the church, if you're here for the very first time, the Gospels are what we, are what we find, and we find the Bible broken up to what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, the, ver- the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's what we call the Gospels. And we find this time in Jesus' life, this miracle that we're about to talk about, is recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So here's what's going on. I'm going to pull out some verses. I think maybe they'll be on the screen for you. If not, um, then uh, get... I know it sounds a little uncomfortable. Maybe you don't know the people. so Maybe you see if you can get a little closer to them or something like that. I don't know. Maybe a relationship will kindle out of it. I don't know. But just see and, and, and share along. Uh, let me encourage you to take notes today. Um, in whatever format you take notes, um, it's okay to write in God's Word. So you can jot things down in your Bible or highlight things. But here's what's happening. 
There's this huge multitude of people. In fact, we see there recorded, we know it as, uh, for us in the church, as we call it, the feeding of the 5,000. For you, for in some of your uh, uh, translations of the Bible, it's even highlighted for you, the feeding of the 5,000. It's estimated that there probably was even more there. It's estimated by some scholars there could have been as many as ten or 12,000. But do you see what I just did? For those of you that are new to the church, or those of you who may be here for the very first time, you'll say, well, I see 5,000, but now you're saying, and I don't see it, now 10 or 11, 12,000. How does that jive? See, there's different things like that we use. For us, it sounds okay. Through Scripture, and the, we have to understand, and let me just paint a picture for you real quickly, and most of you will check out on me real quickly right now because you already know this. But what we see recorded in, a lot of times in numbers, the children and women weren't recorded. So we just, when we see 5,000 here, that's just recording of the men. So the reason scholars estimate there could have been as many as 10, maybe as many as 12,000 people that Jesus fed was because of the children and the women that would have been there as well. But whatever number it is, whether it was 40, 5,000, 12,000, or even more, that's a large number of people to feed. And that's what's taking place. Jesus has been teaching for a while. Now, like some of you right now, and it's okay to admit it, how many of you are hungry right now? I'll admit it, I'm very hungry right now. I got up and got out of the, uh, in the car and got a little breakfast and I'm, I'm hungry. So if you've communicated or done any teaching or preaching or anything like that, you know that if you have an audience, it's hungry. If you've seen that commercial where it shows the individual is hungry and they're not, it shows the image of they're not the person they really are and then they get the candy bar. I can't remember what candy bar. Is it Snickers? Is that what it is? They get the Snickers bar and they change back to who they really are normal. That's what some of you get when you're hungry. You're a totally different individual. Well, Jesus knows that. He understands that. He knows that the people are hungry. He knows that they need to be fed. And this is what takes place. In John chapter 6, verse 5, it says, this is what John tells us that took place in the life of Jesus. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, which is one of the twelve disciples, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And John says, and goes on to say, he asked this only to test Philip. For Jesus already had in mind what he's going to do. See, here's what's taking place. Don't miss what John is telling, telling us here. He's telling us that Jesus knew how he was going to feed this multitude of people before he even asked the question. He wasn't asking the question to really get an answer. He was asking the question to see what would Philip answer. How would he answer this question? What should we do, Philip, about the fact that all these people need to eat? Why did he ask the question? Because he wanted to see where Philip's faith was. How far had Philip's faith come? Where was he at? What was he still needing to learn? 
This is what Philip says. This is how he answers the question in verse 7. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It would take more than a half year's wages. Now don't miss his answer. Some of you know people like this. Some of you work with people like this. Some of you have people like this in your home. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have relatives. You know these people. They always do the math. And no matter what is planned, no matter what you're dreaming about, no matter what the goal is set, no matter what's going on, you know that this, this specific individual or individuals are going to say, not happening. Isn't going to work. Nice dream. Nice goal. That's a nice idea. In fact, they'll plot it, but it's not going to work. It's not feasible. See, Jesus is testing Philip's faith. And Philip is coming back with the answer. I don't think it can be done. Send them away. Do you know how much it would take to do what you're asking? Now, a lot of us know that part of the story, but we forget this part. Or we just look over it. How does Philip get to this answer with all that he's already experienced with Jesus? How does Philip come back with the answer to Jesus? There's nothing we can do. Just send them away. You see... uh, Do you see what Philip has experienced before this? See, I think a lot of us can be like Philip, or we're even right now in this season that Philip is in. If we sat down next to Jesus, and Jesus would make a clear picture of us, this is what I want to do. Over the next five years, this is what I want to accomplish with this church, in this time, in this place. With you individually, if he sat down with you, this is what I want to accomplish with you over the next five years, over the next ten years. This is what I want to do. This is where I want you to be in ten years. This is what's going to happen. A lot of us would come back with the answer that Philip did. Oh, that sounds awesome. I wish that would take place. I wish you would do that through this church. But it ain't going to happen. It hasn't happened to this point. Why would it happen now? We don't have the financial resources. We don't have the people. We don't have the volunteers. God, that, that sounds great about my life. I would love to be there in 10 years, but you don't understand where I'm at now. You see, Philip had watched Jesus turn water into wine. Just a chapter earlier, Philip had watched Jesus 
Say to a lame man, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. And Philip now is saying, this can't happen. Send him away. See how quickly we forget. When Jesus paints the picture for us, when He allows us to see the snapshot, so often we answer back or we express back that it can happen. That it won't work. But look what happens there. If you look on through this time in Jesus' life, there's a man by the name of Andrew. Andrew happened to be listening to what's taking place. You see, Jesus isn't just by himself. There's others around. This is a dialogue. Sometimes we get lost in what's actually taking place when we read through Scripture. There's multitudes, thousands, we've already talked about, of people around Jesus. He has his disciples around him, and he just is kind of having this dialogue between him and Philip back and forth that we just talked about that's taking place, and Andrew overhears this dialogue. And Andrew says, wait a minute. Earlier in the morning, I saw this young boy. I saw this, uh, this kid that had this food with him, this like sack lunch with him, if you will. He had some fish with him and he had some bread with him. In fact, John even breaks it down for us even a little bit more. He has five loaves and two fish. And Andrew brings this boy to Jesus. And Andrew says, I don't know, Jesus, if I know this is a small amount, but will this help? Can we do something with this? And if you look there in verse 11, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and they distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Now, either underline that, highlight that, put it in your notes, these words, as much as they wanted. You have to realize, most of these people in the audience, maybe all the people, a thousand of people, this was the very first time in their life they'd ever eaten as much as they wanted. See, it's so easy for us to miss that. It's so easy as we look, even for some of us who have been looking at Scripture for a long time, these simple things that are taking place. See, during this time period, during this culture, people were struggling. They were trying to find their food to eat and ends meat and all these different things. So they would have never eaten as much as they wanted. They would have eaten just enough still maybe a little hungry, but can't hold back to have something to eat later. And they're able to eat it now as much as they want. We see Jesus do this all throughout His life here on earth. He takes the small and he turns it into something more than we could ever imagine. He feeds these people 
Later on that night, if you look on, if you go ahead and just move forward in this time, uh, you see that Jesus actually walks across the lake. Let me say that again for you. Jesus walks across the lake. Just let that sink in. Anybody done that lately? Anybody you're turning to right now for to answer your questions or to pour into you or give you advice that's walked across the lake lately? Anybody asking you that you've been asking to help you with your marriage or you're confiding in them about problems you're having with your children or problems you're having in your marriage, problems you're having in life, they walked across the lake lately? Now, I can use that, but you see the analogy for some of us right now? You see how we use it in church and we understand and all that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then for some of you sitting there right now where you're at in life, and you think that's all you have. Now, what do most of us do when our bellies are full? What will some of you do this afternoon? It has a name. It goes down through tradition. What will you do? It's okay. Some of you are doing it right now. It goes with, tra- <laughs> goes, with, goes with church tradition. If you don't believe me, look all the way back. Look what happened to Paul. Somebody fell asleep on Paul. He fell out of a window. He died. They brought him back to life. It's all throughout tradition. We do it all Sundays. It's very much tradition. We go to sleep. We get our bellies full, we go to sleep. Some of you can't even get out of Taco Bell without going to sleep. (laughs) The crowd eats all they can. They get their fill and they go to sleep. They have a big, large camp out. Jesus and the disciples leave. It says there in verse 24, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor His disciples were there, they got in a boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So, to make a long story short, what's going on here? Jesus feeds them. Jesus walks across the lake. He goes to Capernaum. The disciples get across there. You can see all that takes place, transpires between the disciples and Jesus and all that as they get to Capernaum. The people, they've been asleep, they wake up, they look around, and they realize that Jesus isn't here. Jesus is gone. They start to search for Jesus. They end up in Capernaum. They finally find Jesus. And in verse 26, this is what takes place. Jesus speaking to them, after they found them, He says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for Him not because you saw the signs. In other words, you're not looking for Me because you believe that I am the Son of God. You're not looking for Me because you believe that I am who I say I am. You're not looking for Me because you want a relationship with Me. You're looking for Me because you want to eat breakfast. That's true. That's why they're looking for Jesus. 
He fed them. He gave them all that they ever, all that more than they, they could eat. They've never experienced that before. They want breakfast, all they can eat. The smorgasbord of Jesus. Now you think I'm maybe being smart, Alec, but I'm not. That is what they're doing. And Jesus addresses that with them. So here's a question. I asked you earlier, if you only had one food, and some of you gave different answers, But here's a deeper question for you to think about. Don't answer out loud. Just think about it. Is Jesus enough? Now I know that sounds really church cliche. It doesn't drive home a real theological point. But it is a deep question. Is Jesus enough? If the smorgasbord of Jesus stopped today in your life, would just Jesus alone be enough? Because I think many of us get drawn in, we get sucked in, we get pulled in to the fact of we became a follower of Christ or we started attending church and all these different things because He is the great provider, because He will heal, and all these different, you know, uh, uh, the security, all these different things that come along with being part of His church. But how many of you were ever talked to, really sat down, and someone really sat and talked to you, and you really looked at what you were committing to? the sacrifice that was actually being asked or that you were going to be a part of. Look what it says there in verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus goes on. Jesus even, he, he throws this out to them. You see, Jesus is basically, if you will, if you allow me to say, He's come to the point He's had enough. It's time that you step up to the plate. It's time that you get from behind the, the bleachers and not even sit on the bench, but actually you get into the game. Jesus says, I tell, I am the, Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, to us, that sounds like some. Okay, what does all that mean? See, to this audience that Jesus is speaking to, he knew they knew exactly because they knew what hunger was really like. This was a very powerful metaphor here. A couple of things just to draw you into on this is the fact that, and I love this part of this time period in this story, is because I love bread. 
For us, most of us, bread is not our main course. It's what we put off to the side. It's what we have with. During this culture, during this time, bread was their main course of food. It wasn't just something they had afterwards. It just wasn't an afterthought. Oh, let's put some rolls, let's warm some rolls up. No, bread was something that they knew a lot about. They would eat all the time. And no matter where you were at on the social scale, scale no matter where you were at uh, ethnically, no matter where you were at, everybody ate bread. Which leads us to the next thing. They understood this idea of bread and what it meant is because bread was available to everyone. Now how you fixed your bread and the type of bread you ate might be different, but bread was available in this time period to everyone. So the crowd understood what Jesus was saying. They understood so much what Jesus was saying that they started to grumble about it. They started to argue amongst themselves. They started to talk. See, they understood what Jesus was doing. They understood what Jesus was saying. Verse 47 says, Jesus pushes them even a little further. He says, okay, I've got you here. I'm going to take you over here. Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. Who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But, the, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And if, if he's not pushing enough, he goes on to say, in verse 53, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have no life in you. Now clearly Jesus, and we, we struggle to understand this, is using some physical concepts to communicate a spiritual truth. And when we first look at these words, we think, well, this sounds so weird for a way for Jesus to speak. But if you break it down, we talk a lot about the same way today. You know, we might say, well, they love sports so much, they eat, drink, and sleep sports. Or they love this certain thing. They love hunting. They love fishing. They love cooking. They love, you know, something. They, 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 they eat, sleep, and drink it. You get the idea? In other words, there's, you come to the point you're so, when we say that, what is it? We're saying they're so passionate about it. It's so much part of who they are. It's so much part of their DNA. If you skip on down to verse 66 of John 6, it says, From this time on, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. Highlight that verse. From this time forward, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed. You see, what had Jesus done? He drew a line in the sand. And He said, I'm over here. 
How many of you will come over with me? Now, for a lot of us, this line is not a problem to a point. For most of people, most of people in the church, now if you're not in the church right now, if you've yet to surrender your life to Christ, if you're new this weekend, then you can just kind of check out for a minute. No, don't. But for those of you who are then in the church, for a lot of us, it isn't, well, Jesus is over there and we're over here. The way the line is, is we're like this. We got one foot out, one foot over. Now stay with me here. I'm almost done. I promise. Can you say I'm al- he's almost done? He's almost Amen. Done. Amen. <laughs> Amen means I agree. That's what you're simply saying. Okay? He turns to these disciples after the disciples had left and he has just the twelve with him. And he looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? Now I don't know how Jesus said this. I don't know if he maybe was kicking the dust a little bit. Are you guys going to leave too? Are you guys done with me too? Am I going to stand here alone? Am I going to face all this alone? Have I not done all this and you're going to leave too? Look what Peter answers. Peter answers in these words. Verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that You are the Holy One of God. I have battled these words. I have fought these words. I have struggled with these words over the past several years. Preaching and listening. Because what Jesus was saying, am I enough? Am I enough? And Peter says, you're all I know. Is Jesus enough? Is He enough? Is He enough when you lose your job? Not once, but twice. Is He enough when the thing that you've been doing for 20 plus years that you love, that you adore, is taken away? Is He enough? Is it enough when you sit on your couch with your youngest on one side and your middle child on the other and you call your wife from work and you tell her that she's got to come home because the most horrific 
argument and battle with your oldest child has just taken place that you never thought would happen. Is he enough? Is he enough when your oldest child tells you that they no longer want to have a relationship with God? Is he enough? Is he enough when you start to notice changes in one of your children? You start to notice that as your child gets more involved in a relationship with a young man, you start to notice physical changes. You start to notice the way that they interact with their friends, the way they interact with you, the way they had interacted with the church. Is he enough? Is he enough when you go to counselors and counselors tell you, well, it, you have to let them figure it out on their, no, on their own? Is he enough when you find out that your oldest has been not only emotionally, but physically abused in a relationship for two and a half years? Is he enough? Is he enough? Is he enough? When you're not sure if you can find the energy to keep going and you're tired of fighting, is he enough? Is He enough? Whatever it is in your life, if it was stripped away or something, is Jesus, just Jesus alone, enough? And here's what I've learned. And this is just me speaking personally. And today I can answer this question, yes. Is that always easy to answer it? Will I be able to answer it that way tomorrow? We'll see. Yes, He is. And here's what I've learned, and I want to leave you with a practical way just to take what we've read and to maybe look at it differently, just real quickly. Young and old. I don't care how old you are. Wake them up. Listen to this real quickly. What I've found out in my own life is that Jesus is all I know. I don't know anything else. Now for some of you, you don't know Jesus, so that sounds... But I've noticed that what people, when people get to this time period in their life, no matter what it is, they turn to what they know. And for me, He's all I know. Now I know that again, that sounds really churchy and that sounds just... But that's the truth. It really is that simple is that He's all I know. So no matter where you're at right now, 
in your relationship with God, whether you don't know him, whether you've turned from him, whether someone dragged you here, whether you're here because uh, of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or because of mom and dad or whatever it is, three things I want you to start doing. And again, this sounds really churchy. Trust me, I've sat and listened to Zach ministers say the exact same thing. But it's true. Get into His Word. Read His Word. If it's just one verse, read His Word. If it's just one phrase a day, read it. Get in His Word. I hold within my hands a paperback or whatever you want to call this. It's not leather, trust me. It's something to look like leather. This is the first time I have physically preached with a Biblios like this, the Bible, in my hand in I think 20 plus years. I've always used my iPad or my computer. Number one reason why is because my eyesight, the older I get, is going, and so I can see it. Number two is because I am used to preaching multiple services, and between sermons I can make corrections. Um, in digital, from my iPad to my computer, from my phone, I could make corrections going from one service to the other that I needed to make. But there's something tangible, there's something amazing about holding, and you're going to thank this until you actually start to do it, about putting your hands on God's Word. There's something about the smell. You're going to think I'm crazy, all that senile 48-year-old. There's something about the taste of God's Word. Now, don't get me wrong. I have, on every smart device I have, I have the Bible. And we can send the Bible and talk, use the Bible and go anywhere in the world now. It is amazing. I have devotions at night with my daughter. And we, she had devotion. I was working last night, and she told me good night. And when I got home, she was still awake, and we did our devotion together. And she'd already read the verse that we were going to use in devotion. There are amazing things to do, but there's still something to hold His Word in your hand. Get in His Word. I wish I had more time to talk about that, but I don't. Number two. Communicate with God. Communicate with Him. If you're upset, tell Him. If you're mad, tell Him. If there's something going on that you're excited about, tell Him. Tell Him your dreams. Tell Him your goals. Tell Him what's on your heart. Tell Him what's on your mind. You want to learn how to communicate with God? That's it. Communicate. Listen to God. And number three, stop letting negativity pour into you. There was a study recently done. Now I know, some of you are going to roll your eyes. When I was speaking to my oldest about this, I thought for sure she was going to roll her eyes. 
And she didn't. Her comeback to me was, of course, Dad. And she gave me the reason why. I, I, don't misinterpret this, what I'm about to say. I love worship. I don't really get into listening to Christian radio. My wife tells me because Christian music transcends and it goes over the course of time. So, and all this about, now don't get me wrong, I love to worship. I love what we do with worship. I love the worship. So, I love all that. I, I, I am there. I'm all about that. But there was a study recently done that said that if you will allow anywhere between, I think it's 10 to 15 minutes of positive music to pour into you, it will change your outlook. And my 18-year-old came back to me when I was telling her about that. She said, of course. She said, Dad, all you have to do is listen to the music today to understand that. Duh. Didn't need a study to tell you that. Stop letting the negative pour into you. Now, I know all that just sounds, that I just said sounds churchy. And it is churchy. But it's true. Jesus is all I know. So therefore, I have no plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. All I have is plan God. That's all I got. Over the next few moments, we're going to worship in song. I think the worship team is going to lead us in a song. I wish I had more time to dive into some of this with you, but we don't. Amen. Maybe Steve allow me to come back sometime on more intimate and share a little bit more of our story that we've been diving through in the season of life we're in and what God's teaching us. But right now, in this moment, in this time, it's not about me. It's not about them. It's not about the people around you. It's not about the person beside you on your right or your left. It's about you and Jesus. And Jesus says to you, am I enough? And we're going to worship. And there's communion that's been prepared for us on the sides of our worship area this morning. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that He shed for us on the cross. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was bruised and battered and beaten for us. When Jesus met with these disciples, before He went on trial, before He went to the garden to pray, and before He went on trial, and before He was crucified, before He rose from the dead, He gave this to us. With this simple thing that He said. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. Not in remembrance of what you're going to do later on. Not in remembrance of this or that. But as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of Me. Will you stand with me? And I want to pray. And then our worship team will lead us in worship. And then 
I, I think after that, then we can go to the tables for communion. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you've given to us and for the opportunity to be in this place at this time this morning. God, I pray that you will take this time to speak to each and every one of us no matter where we're at. For those that maybe that are here for the very first time or don't know you or are struggling whether to believe in you or not, Father, I pray that wherever they're at, if they're in this place of, of not believing in you or, or struggling to, in, in their doubts and all that, that God, it's okay for them to be there right now, but it's not okay to stay there. That Father, at least they will start to investigate to see if you really are real. And the only way to do that is to experience you. For each and every one of us in different places, in different seasons of our lives that we're in right now. You know our needs. You know our desires. You know our pains, our hurts, our joys. You know everything about us. And for us, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. So, Father, I thank you for giving us this time in your church as a reminder of what you went through, that what, what you endured for us. Speak to us. God, we ask you to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.